I'm Samantha Asimardu. And this is the, the NDDA Podcast. No dickheads allowed. Hi, I'm here with Dana Alexander, who is a Canadian comedian uh, of Jamaican heritage. On my father's side, yes, I am Jamaican. Oh, what's your mum? My mum's born in England. Her mother's Irish-Italian. Her father's Guyanese and his grandfather's from Pakistan. Jamaican. So, um, <laughs> this is actually an exclusive because you will never see two black female comedians together. Unless you book it yourself. Unless it's Black History Month and even then maybe not. Because then they have to do the whole balancing one woman at a time. We have you a might see black... Right? Oh yeah, the black women. Yeah, with um, I really Judy. I too much comedy. So, um, yeah, this, this is not going to be a disciplined interview. So, Dana... You are still touring and doing much more comedy than I do these days. You're doing really well. You're doing the circuit. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm a bit of a circuit act. Um, always back and forth through the clubs. I do quite a bit of international stuff, the odd radio gig. I got um, my television gala from the Winnipeg Fest last year drops in April. So that's coming up. Where's Winnipeg Fest? Win Canada. Oh, Canada. Yeah. CBC Festival. So how long have you been doing comedy in the UK? Uh, eight years. Wow, that went Yeah, fast. yeah, it went really fast, girl. Do I look older? Yes. And uh, so... <laughs> Just taking off my glasses now. <laughs> Just so you can see my beauty. <laughs> so what, how have you found being a black female comedian in the UK? Do you know what? It's better than in Canada. Like, uh, I was like the only one. At least here I have allies. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um... I have to say, for the most part, everybody's starting to catch themselves, you know what I mean, with their all-white, male, straight bills, mm. and they're looking crazy, so my diary's packed, because <laughs> they, can triple, they can triple on me, right? I'm female, I'm foreign, and I'm black. Yeah. So if they hire me, they can have a white dudapalooza. They love hiring me. I check three boxes. Yeah, yeah. So what would you say? Have you seen any changes within the comedy um, field since you've been here because I mean I've found in the last couple of years there's a lot of comedians defending nonsense wow. like really turning in on themselves and you know getting comedians who you wouldn't think in our space of alternative comedy you know, who are now coming out with stuff like oh we can't say anything anymore like for instance did you see Jack, Hall, Jack Whitehall's I did. interview with Piers Morgan going comedians can't say anything anymore now I think comedians say quite a bloody lot well I mean I think it's different in his instance because let's be real he has writers so he's worried about what they're going to say <laughs> <laughs> let's not pretend he's up in your all original material like let's be real about that shit because that happened to Amy Schumer didn't it Right? Because she got done for all of this material. And then I was listening to some other podcast, Kurt Metzger, who always gets done for saying sexist shit, yet he writes for Amy Schumer's show. Um, it was all the writers that were contributing to her show, because there's a whole YouTube thing about all the stealing. But she's like, I don't steal. Someone else writes it. <laughs> so I'm like, sit down. And like for, what, what, like, for real though, when it comes to Jack, what does he have to worry about or say in this world? Jack Whitehall. Yeah, I'm curious. What's so hard for his life? I don't I don't think anything. He's always been quite posh, isn't he? He's quite posh, isn't he? Quite he's a public school boy. We don't know him. <laughs> but I know people, I know people who write for him though. Oh, okay. Have you never met Jack? I think I saw him at a party once. Are you saying in the eight years you've been here, have you seen a change in the atmosphere? Where's the change come from most? Is it within the comedy industry? Or has it been with the audiences, where the audience is saying, actually, you're not saying this shit in front of us anymore? 
um, we're well, not accepting yeah, it. Yeah, the audience isn't accepting it anymore. And there's a whole new generation of comics that just doesn't understand the old school and what it was like. I'm old school. Like, I'm 19 in comedy total. So the, what I like to say is I've been distrusting these guys and calling them out for well over 10 years. Do you know what I mean? And finally, everyone else is like, I'm like, bitch, I told you this 10 years ago. The guy's a racist. I told you to listen to his material. You're trying to drudge this up. I've been telling you how long, and you've been calling me crazy. I think, yeah, that is coming out a lot. Like, I saw something online with Matt Lucas, and people were saying, look, mate, what are you talking about? You used to do the most racist stuff. And he's, you know, and I saw all the white male comedians jumping in, defending him, and set, you know, and there were people going, no, we told you, but apparently it was a different time. There's a woman with a gollywog on her <clears throat> dashboard in my neighborhood as we speak. I think of damaging her car every day. <laughs> Some people that... are just not up with it. And I mean, it is a piss poor excuse, but I think now it's trendy. Yeah. So people know that they can get called on it. Yeah. But oh gosh, people's back catalogs are going to haunt them. Well, that was another thing Jack Weigel said, because he was complaining. How come people's careers can be taken down for, for a tweet that they did 10 years ago? Would you agree with that? I mean, I know I've changed personality and well, this you, is actually, you grow, this you is change. Good, interesting, this is an interesting story. Because as you recall, remember that show when we were kicked out? Mm. Pete show? Do you oh, remember? You? Oh, Do you remember wait. the audience member? He was offended by my yes! joke. Yes, he was offended by you, and then, so yeah, that all oh, that ended badly. So my joke was basically. Do you want to tell the story? Yeah. So basically, I get really depressed at Christmas, um, and I probably had like six whiskeys at lunch. I was blottoed, blottoed when I got up on stage, and uh, I do this joke about how I hate taking public transport. I actually don't really do it anymore, but I hate taking public transport because every time I'm in a hurry. I have to get on a bus and somebody's always sitting there in a wheelchair taking up all the seats. And I'm like, six seats? We've been standing all day. You've been sitting your whole life. Maybe I can sit on your lap. You won't feel it. That's the joke, right? But if you analyze the joke, I'm um, the prick. Do you know what I mean? I'm not making fun of someone because they can't walk. I'm showing how ignorant and, you know, out of touch I am that I would sit. You know, it's, I don't think that the joke's on this. So this guy went crazy. He's like, you're a disabledist. What the fuck is a disabledist? I've never heard of this. He goes, how would you like it? I, to be fair, I did blackout. You could probably take the story from here. How would you like it if I wow. said black people were? Yeah. So I said, okay, I can see what's happened here. I can see why the guy would think the joke was offensive. And there's certain things that Canadians and Americans say that we don't, uh, that commonly. Do you know what I mean? Like Canadian and American comics say retard regularly. We don't say that. I don't um, anymore. Or midget. Yeah, so so there's certain things. So I could see the culture. I could see, and I wasn't in the fucking mood because I've been out to lunch with her as well. I said I wanted to go home and watch Coronation Street. Every time I don't go home and watch Coronation Street, something bad happens to me. So we're out. So this guy's confronting Dana. The problem that I had is he did that. How would you like it if I said something about black people? But then I had like a list of examples. Right. Like he was waiting. Exactly. It was like, oh, that didn't take you long to come up with that list. He starts saying all this racist shit to her, so I'm like, hey, hey, hey. And then I call him racist. And yes. So I thought, I'm like, hold on a second. Let's behave ourselves here. You, I think you're taking a piss. So then he tried to do that thing that people do where he goes, but you're one of the good ones. Not, don't ever say that to me. Anyway, ended up quite physical. He shoved me, and then Ava shoved him to the ground. And then I just remember being outside, and the bouncer would not let me in. 
And then the police would... No, the funny thing was like a row of bouncers and Dana tried to run through them. I was gonna fuck okay, him this up. This isn't gonna end You don't push a woman. What does this guy think he is? And why the fuck am I outside of the bar? It was bad. This is quite a good example. You as a comic felt accountability and maybe you thought about that joke and you stopped telling it. So what would you say? Because there's so many comics that are really dead stubborn. And you're like, mate, stop saying that. And they burned. Feed them to the fire. Play the same day. But that whole attitude. Because even the alternative comedy route, I think, has gone more back to sort of more racist because they're digging their heels in. You know what I think? I think it needs to go full circle and take that trash, put them right back in the working men's club where they fucking started. You know, that, co that comedy is done. You want to bring it back? Go back to the working men's club. I did one of those shows on Friday. I do not belong there. <laughs> Several people do. <laughs> it's not me. If you want to do it, do it over there. But um, I'll, f I'll fight them. I fight them about it all the time. Yeah. White Guys Matter. I think I lost about 10 colleagues that won't speak to me. Oh, anymore. tell us about White Guys Matter. Because that when you told me about that, I was like, what? So basically, uh, three, four Canadian comics. Darren Frost, Peter Anthony White, Alan Park, and what's his name? I won't forget it, but it's coming back, and I'll, and I'll name and shame him as well. Um, they did a show called White Guys Matter, right? Because we don't hear enough white voices. And isn't it funny? Black people wanting the police not to kill them? <laughs> Everyone went crazy. Do you know what I mean? So it's Daniel Woodrow, one comic who's, you know, very, very conscious. I didn't actually pick up on it till Daniel posted it, and I did a post, and I just condemned the whole thing. A bunch of other people did. Um, the show went okay, but then they, they actually ended up um, garnering the support of a far-right group called the Toronto Proud Boys. Oh yes, yeah. despite the fact that the club owner's Jewish and the guy running the show is Jewish, and the most popular show they have running at the club that's been there for over 22 years at this time is the Nubian Night. Wow. Yeah. And so, they still run that night. <laughs> you know what they did? Because they were afraid of the backlash. Um, Mark got uh, an a Order of Canada, which is like a big honor in Canada, so I, I think he kind of cooled down. At first they were going to tour it, but then everyone was like, no. And uh, what they ended up doing is giving an undisclosed amount to a black action charity in right. probably like $20, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, you know what though? I don't, like, listen, these guys have been pulling this shit for so long. That's probably why you feel a bit alienated within comedy do you know what i mean but i always have been though yeah i feel the same I way i do anything it's like literally you know i was telling a story about a, a comedian i said it on twitter the other day that i did a gig for who i went to the gig i did a, i see this is another one i said i don't want to come because i want to watch coronation street and it's my night off right i love coronation street i just want to watch coronation street she's like, i'm going to do it for charity going i said okay went to do the gig for her just did the weirdest gig in a school room and it was all, you know, there were no lights, there was no stage, no nothing, it was weird. Did it, went home, um, got myself a curry on the way home, went to put my curry, put my curry on the windowsill, it smashed onto the floor. And so I lost my whole curry and I couldn't even afford another one. When I went in to just say to her, as I always do when I've done a gig, I will email the promoter and say thank you for having mm -hmm. me. Went on Facebook to say thank you for having me, I was blocked. Why? I don't know. I don't know to this day. I just find like, because the thing is when it comes to comedians, people don't understand it's like um, a traveling water cooler. So if you work in an office, you'll go to the water cooler and you might slag somebody off. Now you imagine that person <coughs> goes to the water cooler, gets 
Snacker travels with four comics. Those four comics travel with another four comics who travel with to another fair, four comics. To and be it fair, just spreads. The comment, the comment that I always get is, well, she's never done anything to me, but and then yeah. they go on to, and I'm like, well, she hasn't done anything to you, so how are you carrying an opinion? But hey, I've been but, through that as well, as I told you in Canada. And I guess but the way don't that I look at it is like, uh, embrace your inner... It's a part of whole of society, though, isn't it? Sure. It's like, you want me to be the big bad black bitch? No, I'll be it. I don't care. Yeah, it's nothing that no black woman doesn't have to put up with. I mean, in terms of how do audiences perceive you? Do you think that they... Which audience? Any audience. Would you say that you're being a bl black and female person, how does that affect the audience? Well, I think they give me more respect than the white girls. And yeah. then I'm the size of a man, that helps. And then there's an, they also sometimes give you an elevated response because you're not from England. Yeah. So they figure maybe you're something bigger or something like that. Um, I guess I don't really have time to sit there and have worry about how people perceive me. I mean, one of the things I hate doing after the show is talking to the audience. Mm. The things people have said to me after the show. Like this one guy said to me in Nottingham, Nottingham both times, one woman said to me, oh, we have a darky doctor in our town. I'm like, okay, later, bitch. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, and she actually thought she was being quite polite. Then another guy said to me, well, it's a good job you uh, you do comedy over here because if it doesn't work for you, you could just go on the doll. I said, she's Canadian, she's Turkish, he's Irish. Know your fucking audience. Who are you talking to, bruv? That kicked off. And the funniest thing about it was he was trying to like come on to me. He thought that was like a come on line. It's just nuts, isn't it? I do love the way that loads of your stories end with that kicked off. But um, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it has to kick off. I don't do animosity. But I do find what you said because we're both like, I think probably a little bit taller, but we're mm -hmm. um, pretty much six foot, both of us as well. Five ten, yeah. Yeah. And um, I do find that we, it's, it's everything, isn't it? It's like part of society. So comedy is still within society. But you also have a so look in your eye that's like, like, I'll kill you, bitch. Yeah, we do. She does. Like, I don't have it as much looks. as you. You have it harder than me. But she'll kill you. And people know with that. With a look. With a look. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but I have found in in terms of how we're perceived, it is very different. Like, oh, Lucy yeah, you know Porter, I'm not going to be... Lucy Porter told me a couple of stories of things that happened to her. She goes, oh, that happened to you? I said, of course not. I'm not a four foot ten white woman. Yeah. So that's not going to happen to me. I think all our, our experiences they are different. They do test you, though. You they know who tests you? Black dudes. That's the one people in the one people those one little group in society that thinks you're you're less than me, bitch. I'm coming for you. Like I was on the bus. Most of my complaints uh, around comedy have been from black men. I'm telling you though, I was on the bus. I mixed up the one four nine one three four nine. I forgot which one went all the way to my house. I wasn't paying anybody any attention. I'm just at the top of my bus listening to my music like on my phone. This bus driver comes up the stairs. I'm surprised he made it at his age. They, this retirement thing. People, you see how old people are working now. It's crazy. So he makes his way up the downstairs, looks at me, and he's like, Miss! Miss! And I'm like, okay, yes. And he's like, you have to get off the bus! And I'm like, okay, you don't see everybody's off the bus? This is the last stop! No, 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 and I'm, and I'm like, okay, I made a mistake. Are you gonna continue yelling? Like, what the hell is going on? I have, do you know what I mean? Like, and he just kept going, I'm like, you would never talk to a little old white lady like this. You would never talk to a white dude like this. They just wouldn't do it. They would never talk to another black man like this. But they feel like that's the one person that they can test in society, calling us bitches and hoes on the radio. Please don't start me. What I wanted to ask you about is 
I found it myself. Do you find um, different demographics have a different reaction when you come off stage? Yes. Like I would tend to find white women are very complimentary to me. Very much so. And black will, women really oh, like your stuff. They travel from out of town to see you. Yeah, they will come. Like I was <laughs> just saw a black poster on the feet, black face on the poster they're in. Yes, I was in Holland and there was a woman. I did a gig in The Hague. And she said, my friend was at your show in Utrecht yesterday and she phoned up and there's a black woman here. You've got to get down. So she drove up to there to come to see me. They mm -hmm. will, and in Edinburgh, they will come. Mm -hmm. Black women will show out for you. The always. truth is, all the black acts in Edinburgh should be sharing a poster campaign. Yes, because they don't know the difference anyway, to be honest. Comedy and colour. Yeah, because they will mistake us for each other all the time. Oh, remember that time in front of us? That one girl said to you, Dana, you're so... <laughs> I was sitting right across from her. The death stare on her face. This poor girl from Sheffield. <laughs> she remembers where she is. Because <laughs> that's where we lay her to rest. Um, yeah, it's very annoying. With, with how do black men um, in the audience react to you? Do you know what's so funny? I feel like with a lot of black men, because I think a lot of them interpret me as being less black. Do you know what I mean? Or American, like they see me as different. So there's, there is this kind of like this challenge. Like they, I feel, I feel like black men often want to challenge me, but I feel like there's another part of them that doesn't, that kind of just avoids me before they get into the conflict as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 absolutely. There have been like, you know, I remember being in this gig actually, and I was in Camden. There was a black guy in the audience who was uber posh uber uber posh and um he was sitting there with about seven eight white people and so i was talking to him he was like oh, 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 oh. i'm just so uncomfortable so uncomfortable I've met and that i went black guy oh my goodness i went this is the longest that you've spoken to another black person in your life isn't it oh my god he went mad there was another time um with a black guy who i challenged for his you could just see he did not want to he just didn't want me there and um, he made a complaint that I said to him he was black. And to be fair, he, for me, I but he the, didn't know. He didn't. Know. I think we have to. And, <laughs> yeah. I think we have to address because there's the male and the female hierarchy that always seems to happen, right? Yes. But if you actually look at the reality of economics in our situation, black women are fucking killing it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel that that oftentimes emasculates the guys. Do you know well, what I mean? Well, I had one with bouncers. So there was a group of bouncers in the audience who were pissing about me. I was pissing about with them. I made jokes about them. And afterwards, a black one made a bee, it was in Bethnal Green, made a beeline for me. Going, you're real funny, aren't you? I went, yes. He went, are you, are you this funny when you're at home washing the dishes? How about you go and wash the dishes? I was like, what are you on about? Like, it was just, but it was really Please a Please came back with a good one on him. I can't remember what I said. No, because he was fucking massive. He was like 6'6". Six, six. He was just like, but he was really aggressive with it. I was like, mate, what were you doing? That's the other thing what too. I, I will say this. got slammed a few times. I will say this. There's been a few times when I've been in situations. Sometimes it kicks off on the tube, like after midnight when everyone's drunk, you know. And I, this happened on New Year specifically. And I very much got the feeling like these guys are going to thump me. Mm. Like they, I don't think they feel two ways about it. About like they're coming for you. Do you know what I mean? Also, too, I think it's my size. Well, that's the thing. Men it's like well. men will hesitate at coming for us, but if they're coming for us, they're punching. It's like we're men. Well, I that's find, what I get. Even with my own father, you know, if I'm one upping him in the tongue lashing department, like even at the age of twenty three, he full on just got physical with me yeah. because that's the only thing they have left. 
And if you look at some of the statistics, they're harrowing, you know, when it comes to violence within our community, um, specifically within couples. And, you know, it's something that we need to look at. Absolutely. Absolutely. And is it something you would ever address in comedy? Or do you think violence? it's just too, Like, how much of your comedy is based around you being a black person? Because oh, everybody is like... They go, oh, they're talking about it being black, but then you'll see a Welsh comic and all he talks oh. about being Welsh and... Right, you no, know, I, goes my, my favourite thing to do in comedy is tell white people about themselves. Okay. <laughs> Called Cassidy. Called Cassidy. That's a whole bit now. <laughs> How is that going down then? Well, they, they don't know what to say because the first line is, what is Caucasity? Caucasian and audacity mixed together. Crazy shit only white people will do. <laughs> and then the first line is, like invading a country and saying you discovered it. <laughs> and then some of them are just like, oh no, oh no. But then I have to soften it up. I go, um, or uh, camping in the winter. But then I really have to take the edge off the first line or twerking with no ass. And then, <laughs> so it works. But I really have to like do those two other jokes after because it's just in the yeah. air. It's like, we are invaders. So oh, we can't deny it. Like, have you got a place where you feel comfortable at home, like where you can walk into a gig and know, I'm gonna have a great time with this audience. This is my. These are my people. Is it London? Yeah, London, Edinburgh, central Central London. Mostly everywhere in London. I love Scotland Mm. because I find Scottish people are really up for it. But then, like, I really like, like, I really had a good time with all the the Thailand audiences. They were such a mix. Mm. I think I do the best with mixed audiences, mixed ages, mixed races, Mm. sexual orientation, nationality. Because I, because I, because of the way my tour schedule goes, my stuff has to be adaptable. Yeah. So it helps when everybody's there. So if you know, because you go to Matlock, and you try to do a UKIP joke, oh, try to survive that shit. <laughs> try to survive. You'd like, oh, I've never seen anywhere more white in my life. Have you been to Matlock? Uh, I saw one Indian in two days. <laughs> two days. So what do you think? Obviously, we're talking about being female comics and stuff like that, and. If you look in the acting world, Me Too has hammered that. That has really hammered that industry. I mean, and it's people not often no, not at all. People often wonder how it is as us for female comedians because, I mean, have you ever been cast in couch or? Oh have yes. You ever had oh, like yes. sometimes you should sleep oh, yes. with them for the gig or? Oh yes. You know, girl. Because I believe. Girl, I got some tea. I believe there's the. Promoter side, sorry, I'm just going to say because it's too different. There's the promoter side, people who are booking you, and there's that sexism you get there. And then there is the comedian side. And what I find, why I think Me Too hasn't really hit comedy properly yet, is because these wankers are passing off what they say as a joke. It's like you're up on stage and all your dead hooker stuff, and your wife's a bitch and a whore, and this and that. I'm like, this guy's not joking. And you, so the moral of the story, receipts. Yes. We must believe them because they have behavior. You're talking about, I was an older comic who was my father's age when I was about 24 and he was into this weird kink thing, wrestling statuesque women in hotel rooms for money. He's trying to get me into this when I'm 24, telling me, oh, you make like $600 an hour. I'm like, are you pimping now too? What's happening? So I was like, hmm. I know a better way to make $600. I'm going to get this motherfucker to put all that in a hot meal. That's how old this tea is. <laughs> and I kept all of those. And you know what I'm going to do? It for an Edinburgh show. It's going to be half of two, two assaults. I got jumped by an actual comic in an alley. And then that guy tried to get me to this weird kink sex work. My show was called Bitchcraft. 
Yeah, and is I'm that sorry. the one you're going to be I'm doing? I'm going to expose him and next year. I'm going to do it because I have too many things on the plate this year. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, and I, I, she said to this guy, I'm like, you know what? Look at this. Look what you were writing to a 24 year old when you were like a 49 year old man. I'm like, you know what? I don't even think it's up to me. No, fuck me too. How about you two? You out yourself. Why the fuck are you? I, why am I going to get my hands dirty? I have the receipts. Do it. Oh, he went crazy. He went to a lawyer. <laughs> he told his wife he's trying to threaten me, saying that, oh, be careful. You don't know what you can say on emails. And I'm like, wow, you're going to find out. I'm going to do a whole show about it. Do you think, I mean, have you found other female comedians are feeling the same? Because I know oh, there's, yeah, there's so certain many. male comedians who are just straight up abusive. Yeah. Basically, they will try to fight everything. If they can't get anything in the audience, they will try it with female comedians. Mm -hmm. And this feels like there's a culture of silence when it comes to female comedians. If you look at Louis C.K., what happened, everyone's like, where's the Sarah Silverman? Where's the... Thank you. Kathy Griffin? Where's the... But they don't... You know well, what I mean? So like I think... Higher-profile women are not saying anything. Well, the thing is that... The thing that this, well, that's the thing. They're protecting their pocket. And when these girls came out with the allegations... For Sarah Silverman, like she just did in the last year, say, yeah, Louis used to ask to masturbate in front of me. Don't you think that information would have been helpful 10 years ago when those before those girls lost their damn career? Mm. Because the problem with that whole situation, and a lot of people don't talk about that, is Dave Becky, who is the agent for Louis C.K. He represents Bill Burr. I think he represents Kevin Hart, D.L. Hughley. He has a long list. I'm not sure if Kevin Hart actually, but D.L. Hughley for sure. So what happened was anything that any of those people on, I think Amy Schumer, Aziz Ansari, mm. like the heavy hitters, anything that those people would have been doing for 10 years, those girls wouldn't have been able to do. Mm. And that's the real travesty of the issue. And the worst thing about it is you knew about the Louis C.K. shit before it dropped. Everyone did. Because... I probably won't tell that story, but yeah, I, did, I knew about that. Everybody knew about it. And we, like, I'm a Canadian across the ocean and I knew about it. Girl, these guys are kinky in these streets. Some guy gave me a sub list. Like he was like into BDSM. He literally gave me a three p like three parts Excel spreadsheet of all the things he, that I might be willing to do. The worst part about those lists is they're alphabetical. <laughs> Nothing fun starts with A. <laughs> Abrasions, anus, this, anal, that. I was like, <coughs> I couldn't get past P. <laughs> Dana, stop. Do you think? Do you think that we will ever we'll we'll start to see it hit UK more than it has? Well, we already know that it's hitting. There's one notorious guy that everybody knows about. Is that the one he likes to fart on people? Oh God, there's another one. <laughs> You're all going to get caught. You know, yeah. this is what I'm you saying. All male creepy comedians. You look into my eyes. Killed. Yeah? Look into my eyes. You remember that clock in uh, Peter Pan? In that alligator's mouth? Tick tock, bitches. Because you think you're safe? 20 years. Look what happened to Bill Cosby. Where is he right now? Exactly. He's in a jail cell. So you, you know what? I don't even care if you don't get caught. Because I want you to feel uncomfortable. Until exactly. you do. Exactly. And you will. Okay, Dana, this has been a lot of tea's been spilled. I swear to God. <laughs> uh, before we go, right, where can, where can we see you next? What TV gigs have you got coming up? What, uh, what are you doing in Edinburgh this year? Where are you going to be in Edinburgh this year? What's I'm actually on? not going to be doing Edinburgh this year because I couldn't get the venue that I wanted and mm -hmm. I have to um, I'm, have a couple of other things. I'm working on a kid's cookbook right now, so I'm really oh, yeah. kind of focusing on that. I'll be in Asia next month for the Magnus Comedy Festival. 
my um, Winnipeg Comedy Festival gala drops next month as well. You can check out my podcast, Comedians of the World. It's basically an archive. You can do conversations with comics from all over the place. Uh, I kind of took a hiatus on that. And yeah. You're on Twitter, Instagram, everything? Yeah, Comedian Dana. Um, that, I'll just, that'll tell you like where most of my gigs are. If you want to see pretty pictures from traveling, Comedian Dana on Instagram. If you want to see some fights... Add me on Facebook, I dare you. Just follow her. I dare you. (laughs) And it kicked off. (laughs) Dana, thank you so much for doing this short notice. Thank you very much. Our fabulous guest is Ms. Belinda Washington. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. You're going to talk to us today about um, a campaign you've been running for how long? Yeah, tell us a little bit. Right. Okay. So, um, your daughter, how old is she? 16 months. 16 months old daughter. And you had some concerns in your area we, about the cuts. We well, we didn't really. We were just getting ready for Christmas. I had a wonderful Christmas. Came back and I was at the library with my daughter for Wriggle and Rhyme, which she loves. She's like a kid who goes into the club. Yeah. And every song is her tune. And people ask me, well, what's her favourite nursery rhyme? All of them. She just <laughs> loves it when she gets to the library. She goes crazy. Someone gave me a leaflet and it had a picture of the Grinch on it and the Grinch stole a scene in our children's centres and I thought, what? And it turned out that we were several weeks into a consultation that I had heard nothing about regarding the closure of our children's centres. There are 23 children's centres in Lambeth and they wanted to close five completely and downgrade seven. Now that's 12, which is more than half of the children's centres. Can you explain who they are? Is but that... also, what are, what are the children's centres? What do they right. provide for the children? Okay, I'm glad you asked. So firstly, the they is Lambeth Council in Labour. Yes, Jenny Brathwaite, sorry, but it's you. And... We love to make friends on this podcast. <laughs> no, but, but the thing is, she knows I tell the truth. And if I had to draw, if I could draw, and I had to draw the picture, it'd be them. I would draw her and her friends. But the children's centres are really important. The first time I went to the children's centres, I think my daughter must have been two, maybe three weeks old, and I was really struggling. I was breastfeeding. I was also giving her formula top-ups because she wasn't gaining weight anywhere near quickly enough. She was in the 97th percentile when she was born, and she was rapidly falling down the percentiles. And I wasn't quite sure what was going on. We went to a milk spot, which is one of the first services that the children's centres provide Mm -hmm. to help you with breastfeeding or infant feeding generally to look at what's going on. We got referred because they thought that she had a tongue tie. She didn't have a tongue tie. We went back. They gave us more support and they were watching because I used to go around with a range of terry toweling nappies to wipe up huge amounts of regurgitated milk it didn't matter what the source was now it sounds really odd but no one knows until you're in that position you don't know what's normal you don't know how much milk they're meant to bring up does it is it just that a little bit goes a long way you can't tell what's going on and they said no your daughter's got reflux you need to be seen by a community pediatrician and your daughter's going to need meds so they look after specifically sort of first-time mothers no they'll look after first-time parents all sorts of parents so for me my biggest problem at the beginning that got me through the doors within the first month of my daughter's birth was infant feeding 
they look after parents with multiples. There was a mother there with twins who was having issues with feeding twins. They look after parents with disabilities, with mental health problems, and equally huge amounts of support they look after women who are on maternity leave for the first time in their life it's because for a lot of us we've worked since we were 16 we worked as students etc we've got careers and then we're on maternity leave and all our friends are at work and we're at home with this person who can't speak but wants a lot and we're quite lonely Mm. so they they offer a lot of support especially for first-time parents and like are you saying, like, without that service, I mean, what would you have done? You would have been, how do you felt? Like, completely isolated? Would you have to seek that kind of help privately? I mean, how will it affect the mums coming up behind you that, if that's taken away, do you think? I have no idea. The scary thing is that we don't talk about children dying of starvation, but at one point my daughter reached the second percentile. And had she continued... We don't know for her weight. She had she had failed to gain weight. So for her age, even though she hadn't actually lost weight, mm. she had put on so little weight that she was falling further and further and further down. And the effects of that on her health and her development, I can't imagine. For women who are experiencing domestic violence, you can't buy this support in. You can't replace it. Yeah. And those anxieties, I don't know what you do, but I... I know that the Children's Society, not the Children's Society, Action for Children have done reports and what they've said is that closing these centres tends to lead to a range of far greater costs a lot later on elsewhere in the system and you just can't work out what it's going to cost. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing at the moment to try and prevent this happening? Is there a big campaign? What's it called? There is... Quite a large campaign. At the moment, it's local. My friends in Lambeth have been protesting today in Windrush Square, and I'm here raising awareness because we're trying to join up all the campaigns across London to look at the issues across early years. Because what Lambeth has done is Lambeth, in many respects, made it easier for us to campaign, to say to central government, you need to put more money in because there just isn't the funding and as a society we can't afford the costs. Every pound that they don't give us now yeah. will cost them £7 if they fix the problem in adolescence or if they attempt to fix the problem in adolescence. Right. So how can they justify it, that? If they know those numbers, how can they justify these cuts? What are they saying they're spending it on something else otherwise? Or what, what, what have, is their rationale for cutting, for closing all these centres? They say that the, that the country doesn't have any money. We literally spend the least out of the, U, of the U, um, EU, EU countries on our, on our um, system. Childcare, Child healthcare, yes but we do not have the money and nobody is asking these questions because we are busy talking about all sorts of other things and we are spending a huge amount of money on trying to leave the European Union so that such comparisons can't be made. So mm-hmm. stop it, Samantha. Right? <laughs> not meant to be making these comparisons. We allegedly don't have this money and if this money isn't... If, this, if they don't spend the pound now, if, it, if they don't spend the £7 it would cost in adolescence, it will cost them £13 instead of a pound now right. if they have to try and fix those problems later on. So it's a tremendously expensive business. We can't afford to do that. We've got a meeting at Parliament on Wednesday 
to try and bring all the different campaigners together in London. On Instagram, there's SOS Lambeth Children's Centres. And on Twitter, there's Lambeth, so, uh, there's Lambeth SOS. And you're a sort of coalition of different parents and or just... On pa- parents, local people. trade unions. We've had a huge amount of support from the private and voluntary private voluntary and independent nurseries because they get we parents get told that they've got 15 hours or in some cases 30 hours a week of mm. free childcare and it's not free mm. government might contribute something but they're not contributing the full cost there's a range of really complicated issues and if your child needs speech and language therapy there isn't the support there for that and Really, it's a mess. It's remarkable how many problems all the other cuts are going to be storing up for us as a society. It's unfair. And is it cross party? Is it like just the Conservatives have led this, or you think it's Labour, Lib Dem? Who's, is anybody at fault, or is it all of them? We've got a Tory central government, they're at fault. We've got councils like Wandsworth, which is conservative controlled we've got lambeth that's labor controlled but then we've got the other councils that i am also quite worried about like southwark what southwark does is southwark gets away with it because if you're a first-time mum you don't know how things used to be you've got nothing to compare it with you've got the parents who've got older children who say hmm messy play used to be 90 minutes now it's an hour Mm. and they get glares because you, you've got that one per... In, in this country, the average birth rate is 1.9 births per woman. Mm. So it's not even the case that everyone eventually has that second child. So when you've got the parent with that second child who remembers, actually, you've cut this, you've cut that, but you cut yeah. it in a really sneaky way, that parent could potentially, if they were directed properly could join a campaign and could combat this. But because you've got councils like Southwark, who think that they're being really helpful, but who are hiding things from people, they don't know, so they don't campaign. And unless you stand up and say, stop, no, this is enough, we can't afford these cuts any longer, there's no resistance. You asked, how can they justify it? The reason that... It, the, the sad thing is that they don't even have to justify it because nobody's asking the questions. Right. So after you have your meeting on Wednesday um, in Parliament, where can people read up on the results of that? Will there be a, a central website or is everybody, every offshoot going to do their own thing? Where can people read more? I think we're going to need our own website. And I think all the social media channels will need to lead to it. But I think if people, for the time being, concentrate on the Lambeth SOS Twitter feed and the SOS Lambeth Children's Centre's Instagram feed, we will direct them to the website. We just don't want to create that yet because we need to make space for the rest of London to come in as they join us. And equally the think tanks and the charities because they're collating the data. They know the impacts of these cuts. We can see that since 2010, there's been an increase in the number of children being taken into care because where you could have issued, it suggested that mothers and families attended parenting workshops Mm -hmm. so that their children didn't have to be taken into care. 
Now that can't happen. They don't exist. Though they, they, they do still exist, but children's centres have been being cut. They've been chipped away at and undermined so much since 2010 mm-hmm. that there isn't the same support there. So they've been completely short-sighted. So basically this is going to store up sort of community problems for later. Then people, you know, when people go into care, then they're more susceptible to all sorts of other things happening in their lives. They might feel defeated. So in the end, they're going to have to spend it on the prisons anyway. Mm. (laughs) Or they're going to have to spend it on policing. Or, you know, we're seeing the knife crime at the moment is awful. And it's because a lot of these kids have, the community centres have gone, you know, the old youth clubs and stuff like Mm. that. They've just gone. So, yeah, I think they've been incredibly short-sighted. It's just, you know... I just think they just don't care, to be honest. And it sounds like they think they can get away with it because Absolutely. there's not enough like joined up people sort of working yeah. against it. Well, but, um, what's good in your campaign? But other people say that they don't say that when you have a child and you're a new mother, you're invisible. So they our children can't speak up for themselves. Mm. And when we as mothers speak no one hears us, mm-hmm. it's really incredibly challenging and difficult. And the annoying thing with Lambeth is that a year ago they published a report saying that as part of their public health strategy for Lambeth, they said that they were going to defend all 23 children's centres. Not because they thought that the 0-5 to year olds were involved in gun and knife crime, but because making sure that the children had those foundations was going to protect them from getting involved in gun and knife crime. Thank you very much for coming on. Is there anything else you wanted to say? No, (laughs) but thank you so much for inviting me. No, no problem at all. Thank you. So everybody, get involved. Follow the Twitter feed that Glinda's told you about. We'll put them at the bottom anyway. Yeah, yeah. Love SOS. I said it with my chest and I don't care who I offend.